We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, welcome to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 33. Okay, I try not to say this every time, but I seriously love this episode. Our guest today is a super successful rider, trainer, clinician, judge, and horse show mom. So she is one of the best people to ask the nitty gritty questions that everyone wants to know, but no one is talking about. Sounds like the perfect guest, right? All right, let's do this. Here's our guest, Hope Glenn. Thank you so much for taking the time. I know you are a busy lady, so thanks for um, taking a minute to come on the Equestrian Podcast. Well, all I can tell you is knowing this industry, if you're not busy, then you're not working hard enough because this <laughs> is not an industry where you have a lot of time to hang out and sit around. Exactly. Totally. Uh, well, would love to kind of hear um, a little bit about your story and how you kind of got to where you are today. I'm not one of those famous, exciting junior riders. I'm actually a girl who grew up in Northern California um, to a mom who loved horses as a child, uh, rode Western. And I think she was really hoping that I might enjoy trail riding with her or maybe uh, she pushed me at one point in time to maybe do the paint circuit, but Western riding wasn't my thing. I thought it was a great foundation. In fact, I started my own daughter in a Western saddle before I put her in an English saddle, but my passion has always been jumping, and as with many little girls, I just couldn't wait to jump bigger and more horses and spend my time with my ponies and my horses as much as I could. I was lucky enough, and I say lucky because I look back and think what a blessing it was to be able to have my horses in my backyard. It was because we couldn't afford to keep horses in a big show barn. So it, but to me, it is absolutely the reason that I am the horseman that I am and the rider that I am because I had the opportunity to spend so much time with my animals. I did pony club. I did Western English and driving, Welsh ponies. I went to the fair shows where you, you know, do all three disciplines and then, you know, try to ride to win a belt buckle and then go at night and play fair games with your friends. I mean, that's not, <laughs> that's not. East Coast Indoor Circuit. You know, um, I have a a daughter who's a very successful junior rider, Avery Glenn, and her upbringing is quite a bit different than what mine was on the circuit. And I think my type of background and the ability to be able to see animals and work with green animals and work with problem horses. And that's what I did as a junior rider. And it gave me a great foundation in this sport to be able to not only develop feel, but develop a sense of being able to read an animal and let them lead you in the direction of success. Meaning, as we all know, in this industry, horses are all different. They're very much like personalities of children. And you have to be able to teach certain horses certain ways, just like you have to be able to teach certain students certain ways. But over time, me being able to believe in horses and know them has really what's led to my success in the show ring. 
Amazing. You were riding and doing a lot as a junior. At that point, had you, you know, the the 15-year-old hope where you're like, I want to do this full-time for the rest of my life? Or what did that Definitely come up like? not. I played tennis. I did a lot of other activities. You know, it was never a choice for me not to go to college or university. And, and it was something I really wanted to do. So I never thought I would be a horse trainer, actually. I went to UC Davis. I got my degree in political science and Spanish and communications. My plan was to either go to grad school or go to law school. And then I lucked out being in a situation where um, I had a great guy in my life and he was a horse person. And we decided, you know what? He knew he wanted to be a horse trainer. And I was like, okay, well, then we got to try this and let's give it five years. Let's give it five years. And if we're not able to buy a piece of property and really feel like we can develop our business, then we're going to go back to corporate world and Mm -hmm. have a real job. And so I think there's a lot of, I worked really hard. I took any clients. I, my first five horses in training were quarter horses and semi-psycho thoroughbreds. Yeah. Um, But (laughs) I made them better. And the sales horses, I sold for more money. And take everything with pride and then make it better. And that's how you'll develop a better following, a better business, and become a better horseman. And for me, um, when I was 16, I had a very bad accident on a horse. I had a horse flip over on me, broke my femur. I had an embolism. I was in a coma. I couldn't ride then the rest of my junior years. I had too much too many uh, pins in me. And um, I think a lot of people would have been like, oh my God. I think at the time it seemed, of course, when I was laying in the hospital and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm, my junior years are over and I'm, I'm not even 17 yet. Right. And then I went, wow, okay. And other doors opened for me to learn other things. I taught a lot at that point in time like kids, my trainer let me go in and teach lessons at the local level as a 16 or 17 year old. I went to schooling shows and learner judged. Um, I learned a lot of different things during that point in time because I changed my attitude and looked at it as an opportunity to, to learn in life instead of being negative. And I really, I do use that energy in my life all the time. And I will tell you, I think the horse show world is a tough one to Mm -hmm. be able to sometimes reflect positively when there's a lot of, you know, a lot of nerves. And and unfortunately, there is a lot of negative energy sometimes coming out of this industry as with any. I use the energy I get from the horses and the positivity that I get from being around animals to make good choices and also lead my life that way. And horses in my life have been a complete blessing. They still are. They still motivate me to learn more as a equestrian, but they also motivate me to be a more kind, compassionate human in my life. And um, for that, I'm thankful every day I get to, to spend my life around animals. Yeah, that's such a good perspective and an, uh, such an important perspective to keep because I think if that love and passion for the animal starts dwindling or goes away, it becomes extremely difficult to keep going within the industry. Absolutely. I can't think of a time in this sport. I've talked to so many young professionals and so many people that go through burnout periods, which everybody does if you're working hard in this industry. And never do I hear, oh, I just, I don't like horses anymore. That's never what I hear because Mm -hmm. you wouldn't do this and you wouldn't work so hard if you didn't actually 
like being around horses. I unfortunately think some people in the business lose their love for horses or maybe lose their enthusiasm to do what's right for the horses because they get swayed by the money of the industry or the pressure to become a certain way or a certain level. And they end up sacrificing maybe what's best for the horse for what's best for their business. And Mm -hmm. the thing I can say is that may work temporarily, but it won't work long-term at all. And so that quick fix of maybe, you know, doing this or that isn't ever going to actually get the, it's not going to make the horse better and it's not going to eventually get that horse to the level. It may be, maybe a patch, but it's not, going to be in the long run what makes that horse a really successful horse and makes you win at the very top level um it's it's a combination of good horsemanship it's a combination of good training and it's a combination of a sound horse good mind and body and also um you know the willingness of a trainer and a rider to work with the animal that you have to make them better i gave a clinic last week in edmonton and one of the things in the junior group that i was working with i had a kid who was like oh well you know i'm just not sure i'm ever going to make it to this level because i don't have you know a fancy horse and we did a, a course and several of the other kids in that clinic had much nicer, more expensive horses. And we did the course and we talked about the different courses. And I said, well, today, if I was judging, you won this class, not because you had the fanciest horse, but because you rode better than these other kids. And yes, at the very top of this sport, at the very top, you have such amazing riders and such amazing horses, but there are so many levels to that point that you can outride other people, if you are that person, if you've worked harder, if you've spent more time knowing your horse, I am very passionate about inspiring young people to be good horsemen instead of just focusing on winning. And the thing I've found is if you can focus on that, you end up winning more. Mm -hmm. I have won more classes because I'm a better horseman than a lot of other people and I know my horse is better and I know what choices to make on course because I know what my horse will excel at and that's just because I have a better connection with them I'm the I'm the trainer you're gonna see uh, you know two years ago at derby finals I was bathing my own horse and someone's like you didn't bring your own groom from California I said of course I did but this horse is gonna this horse is gonna walk in the ring tomorrow night and give me 110 percent I want to spend as much time as I can with it I want to let it know that I'm here for it just as much as it's here for me. I'm very passionate about horses and horse care. And if I could instill one thing in my my riders, it would be to spend more time with your horse, get to know them, get to understand them. And, you know, my big push for my junior riders and I guess for my adults too, but you see at the horse shows these kids all sitting at the back gate on their cell phones. I mean, it happens. My own child, I sometimes have to motivate and I'm still her mom. Who's like the biggest cheerleader for horsemanship there is, but get off your phone, go watch a great rider, get your horse out of that box. It's been sitting in for 24 hours, Mm -hmm. walk it, pet it, groom it. It doesn't matter if it needs to be groomed. It's just spending time bonding with that animal, um, getting it out, watching great riders, watch them make mistakes and see how they handle it. You know, there's, there's just so much learning available, especially when you're at a horse show. 
for both you and your horse when it comes to great riders to watch, but there's so much learning available outside of the ring when it comes to you and your animal. And I know that's a bit of a tangent from where I started, but it's my whole mantra on how to be successful in the industry is be a better horseman and a harder worker. Yeah, I love that. I feel like it's a message that not many people are verbalizing, which usually in these, um, in my podcast, I ask this question at the end, but because you are so multifaceted, is there an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like others either don't talk enough about or um, don't know a lot about? I think what I'm most passionate about is instilling horsemanship in young people, which is what we've been talking about, because I think then I'm producing actually better humans, better riders, and better long-term horse owners in the industry. And hopefully people that will stick with the industry, because our industry right now has less than 1% growth. And it has in the last 50 years had less than 1% growth. The only way we are going to keep people in this sport is if we develop their passion for animals and also the thing that we don't talk enough about is protecting these clients and these riders and these horses from basically fraud and dishonesty in this industry. I think that's something we don't talk about enough. And it is killing this industry, the people who go in here and are dishonest, not only in horse sales, but horse buying, and also representing animals. And what they don't see is that it hurts them as well in the long run. It may be a quick fix to make a little extra money on this horse, but then you can't sell that horse for that amount of money because there's been so many commissions or this or that put on top of it. And then those people get burned out and they leave the industry and then their kids don't ride and then they tell their friends they got burned and then they don't ride. We can't bring this business along and we can't bring along the next generation if people are continuing to make too much money on commissions, hiding lamenesses on horses. It We have to change the industry, in my opinion, and it starts with professionals. And in my opinion, it starts with professionals being better educated businessmen. I think too many professionals and too many young junior riders just after they're done with their junior career, pick up a tent, put it out there. And the problem is, is parents don't know the difference. They don't know, even with the trainer certification program, even with efforts being made to certify trainers, People don't know what they're actually looking for if they haven't been in this business before. And unfortunately, people are getting burned out of this business. And there's only so many families that can keep coming into this and afford this industry. So we have to start to be more transparent. We need to, as parents, when you pick coaches, you need to go find people who are good businessmen inspiring humans. I see a lot of people talking right now about safe sport, but I also think there's a whole nother conversation about emotional abuse from coaches, which 
is another thing that I see not enough parents recognizing. You need mm-hmm. to see if your kid is getting belittled. I'm not saying we need to tell our kids they're great and super and, you know, oh, Susie, I don't know why you didn't win that blue ribbon. You're just fantastic. That's not mm. what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about inspiring these kids to be better, giving them real examples of how they can walk in the ring and do a better job, setting an example of good sportsmanship, setting an example of good horsemanship. All of those things, the professionals in the industry need to take some responsibility for this and do a better job because we are the ones who are going to either bring this business into the next century and say, we have growth because people want to become a part of this. We have ways of bringing people in. And I think the industry breathes a little bit like you got to just think about right now, how do you get the blue ribbon, how you get to that, and then next week, how we get the blue ribbon again. And I think the overall sport and overall governing body and the overall professionals need to really work towards making this a more honest industry. And also parents need to go out there and make sure you're supporting people who are running good businesses, honest businesses, and are inspiring and making your kids better in and out of the ring. I think that's probably the parent in me talking. It's something I I, I don't think we talk enough about that. There's so much cheating going on, in my opinion, as far as Mm -hmm. stealing from clients and being dishonest. And I can confidently say it's not something I do. And that's why I'm very passionate about changing the culture. Um, And I I also, like I said, I'm a big proponent that young professionals need to go get a business education because I think they need to know how to manage money. I think they need to know how to save money. I think they need to know how to save for retirement and have insurance and do all these things. That is a step that you can skip and still be a a, a winning rider, but I don't think it's going to end up making you a successful professional down the line. And I don't think you're going to retire with money in your bank because you stole from one client, you're going to retire with money in your bank because you financially planned correctly. You saved your money and you didn't live beyond your means, which I see a lot of these trainers doing, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that people don't talk enough about is keeping the industry in a place where we can invite more people to be in here and we keep the clients that we have in it. Oh, hey, it's me, Bethany, again. I wanted to interrupt really quick to let you in on something that we are doing right now that I am so excited about. If you are involved in the equestrian influencer space or have your own small business, this is for you. My friend Leah from Dappelbeco and I are hosting a in-person workshop in South Florida during week seven of WEF, which is February 21st through the 23rd. This is going to be an intense workshop with about 12 other equestrian entrepreneurs for you to really network and to narrow in on your goals for your business. So would love for you to sign up. Finding a community makes everything better and is something Leah and I experienced working together firsthand. We want this first one to be a small, tight-knit group, so spaces are limited. To apply for the workshop, head over to myequestrianstyle.com slash workshop for more information and your application form. 
So let's say you know or you meet a young professional who's already in the business, is trying to figure out how to kind of navigate this industry as a young professional, um, maybe did not get the education he or she needed. What kind of suggestions would you give to that young professional as far as receiving education? That's a great question. It's actually one I've been asked by young professionals before, and usually the question goes something like this, what horse shows do you think are most important for me to attend (laughs) to be a great professional? And I said, well, I've been a pretty successful professional, and I never attended as a junior rider any show on the East Coast. Right. I never went to indoors. I never went to a finals, and I got to do maybe a couple local finals as a kid. And I consider myself a pretty good professional. Yep. I said, so there's not, there's no answer that you have to be at a horse show to make yourself a better professional. The first thing I will say is this industry is going to be here for you when you're done with college. So that's yep. usually my first answer. Go get an education. You can still ride or work or be involved in the horse industry. I don't even care if you do the education online, but you need a good ability to be able to manage money, no business, and also Just be around non-horse people because these are the people who are going to bring their children to you, or this is the wife or the husband that's going to come to you, and you're going to have to tell them why they need to spend twenty-five dollars or $50,000 or $100,000 on a horse. And if you don't know how to deal with people outside of the industry, you're going to have a harder time dealing with people outside of the industry. So for me, education is number one. Number two, horse education. Rarely do these young professionals coming through the industry right now. Yes, children of professionals usually have a little bit more background in horsemanship because they have to, because most of us professionals can't afford to just have their kids show fancy horses. I was lucky enough to work one day a week at a vet hospital in high school. Mm. I feel like I'm as much of a vet as I am a trainer because I have to see You know, if I have 45 horses in training, I've always got at least five that are unsound. Right. And I've got to be able to call my vet, decide when to call my vet, know what's going on, decide when I can push it, when I can't push it, and what's the best thing for the animal. But if I don't have any idea how to diagnose a lameness or know whether a horse is lame and it's right front or right hind, how can I explain to the client that they need to have a vet see this horse? Mm -hmm. I am a better professional the more knowledge I have. I believe knowing horses and knowing basic veterinary needs are very important. Go volunteer to ride along with your vet for a week going to different barns right. or, or one day a week volunteer to go train with a vet and watch them do horses' teeth, give shots, all that sort of stuff. Those are all things you're going to have to know how to do as a professional. So you may not have to do surgery, but you're going to have to know you know, which leg your horse is lame on, what are basic ways to treat it. With that being said, I think spending a little time getting to know your shoer and what they're doing. I mean, good shoers are the foundation of sound horses. Right. Um, you see all different types of shapes of feet and different types of shoes. And I can't tell you how many people don't know different that, you know, other than steel, normal shoe. I mean, like what are therapeutic shoes? What are your options to support a horse that has navicular? If you have some coffin joint rotation, how do you fix that? I would guess if you asked 
20 professionals between 19 and 25, I'm not sure the majority of them could tell you about any ways to fix, you know, a horse's low heel or maybe concussive um, foot soreness. How do you heal it? All that sort of stuff. You need to know therapies. Why do we ice a horse's feet? Why do we poultice a horse? Why, when do we poultice its legs? How often do we do it? All those things, you know, learning from a vet or a shoer can really help you. And, and the thing is, I think the viewpoint is, oh, well, I'll just call the shoer. I'll just call the vet. But the truth of the matter is if you, can, you are a horseman and you know how to work with a horse, you can prevent injuries from happening. Therefore, those horses get to show more. and Therefore, they're more successful. And therefore, your clients are happier and you stay in this business and you end up making more money in the long run. Don't get too far ahead of yourself. Start with the basics. Start to learn more. Work with people you admire. So work with real horsemen. Watch what they set up at home. Watch their exercises. Watch Mm -hmm. how they teach. Listen to them. Go to a warm-up ring sometime. If you're a young person and you maybe can't afford to train with somebody that you admire, go listen to them train. I am sure 99% of the top professionals in this industry, if you're a young junior rider or you're a young professional and you say, would you let me shadow you someday? Would you let me stand next to you in the warm-up area and listen. Yeah. I, I don't know anyone who would say no. Right. Yeah, that's Learned. a really good point. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can take it and emulate it, or you can be like, eh, that's not something I want to do. It doesn't mean you have to do the same thing, right. but you can learn from it. Go look and see what type of bits these people are using. Look at their bit rack. Ask, why do you use, do you know why these people use other types of bits? Do you know what they do? Again, I'm not sure people know these young people coming up through the ranks why you use a loose ring. Why would you use a pelham? Why do you use a straight bar? What you should be able to answer all those questions as a mm-hmm. professional. Right. You should be able to know why you use all those things and what sort of things will help you and what sort of things will hurt you if you have a certain problem. If your horse is strong and lays on the hand before the jump, well you might want this. If it plays after the jump, this type of bit might help you. You know, those are things that the more you can learn from people, the more arsenal you have to be a better rider, a better teacher, and a more successful person in the show ring. And I think, I think when push comes to shove, people don't spend the money they do in this industry without wanting to be professional, without wanting to be successful in the show mm-hmm. ring. So if you want to be, the problem is too many people, they go from step one to step 10. How do I, how do I buy the horse and get to the show ring and win? If you skip a few of those steps along the way, if you don't know what that horse feels like, if you're not 100% sure it's sound, if you don't know what sort of bit it likes to make it go the softest off the ground, if you don't know that when it's tossing its head when it lands because its feet are stinging a little bit and maybe it needs a coffin joint injection or some support on its heels, if you don't know that stuff, then step 10 is only going to get you a fifth-place ribbon. Right. There's so much pressure to get to the blue that too many of these people skip those steps and you may win a class here or there, but you're not going to be consistently a winner unless you have those boxes checked off. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a really great point. Stepping back just a little bit when you were talking about safe sport and picking a trainer and, and finding someone that kind of fits your needs. I mean, you have so many different areas of expertise with uh, your training and riding and you're a businesswoman and a clinician and a horse show mom. From all of those different standpoints, what are some practical ways for people in those areas to ensure that they are working with the right trainer, that they're able to find the right trainer for them? I think a lot of times people just look and see, okay, who's winning? Because that's easy to sure. figure out, right? I think that you want to also see, though, you know, you could be a, like a bit of a stalker parent and, I mean, sit on the rail when those people are warming up their clients and hear what sort of stuff they say. Mm-hmm. Are they out there going, why can't you do this? Or that was dumb. Or I can't believe you made that mistake. Or if they're always blaming you know, blame, blame, or shame, shame, Mm -hmm. instead of going, you know what, I saw that you encountered this problem, or that's too bad this happened, let's talk about how we fix it. Are they problem solvers, or are they blamers? Right. You can tell a lot by how a trainer is at the back gate. So you could easily go stand at the back gate, like you're watching somebody, and just listen to how they deal with things. Mm -hmm. And then another really important thing is, who do they have with them? Who is their... um, support group. So you're not always going to be with the head person. You may sometimes be with the assistant or you may be back at the barn. See if the other kids are supportive kids in the barn. Is it a, is it a team environment or are these kids, you know, not there clapping for their friends? What are you looking for? Are you looking for, you know, a supportive environment or, you know, you have to think a little bit about what's important to you. Is it important to you that somebody is a good coach and a motivator I think personally, I have always seen more, I I have to be tough on some kids, but I never tell them they're dumb. I never tell them they can't, I can't believe you did that. How could you be so stupid? That stuff happens. You see it a lot, unfortunately. That doesn't give them any chance to, it doesn't give them any concrete help. It doesn't teach them. It just belittles them and makes them feel bad about themselves. And there is not one kid or amateur, or top rider in this industry that doesn't want it. You don't come out every day to this sport and not actually want to be good. So everybody's going in that ring trying. So if I just tell them, how could you be so stupid? Or gosh, you didn't even try. Or of course they are. They're here. They're putting their days and their hours and their money and their time into this. I need as a coach to tell them how to do it better, help them problem solve. And I think parents need to go and say, okay, yeah, that all of these people have fancy tents and all of these people, you know, put fancy things on their social media. I got a fancy tent. I put fancy things on my social media, but I can promise if you come and listen to me in the warm up area or listen to me at the back gate, I think you're going to find somebody who reflects whether it's a great round or a poor round, finds something positive, tells them how they can do it better and gives them real ideas and answers to how to fix the problems. Don't create more problems. Find a coach that actually can answer those problems for them and help them get through it. And depending on the type of learner you are or your child is, you're going to need a certain type of coach that knows how to deal with that. Yep, I agree. I, 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 that's one of my biggest pet peeves is when you uh, when you hear a trainer say something like, 
I don't even feel like you're trying. I don't even feel like you want this when it's like, of course they want this. They are here investing their time and their money and their family's time to make this happen. And obviously after a trip coming out of the ring, if something goes wrong, all the kid wants to know or the amateur wants to know is what could I have done differently? And so as a trainer, having some concrete, positive, constructive criticism of actual things that they can do to benefit or do better next time is all they want. They don't want the, like, how could, how could you be so stupid to make that mistake again and again and again? And it sounds silly that it's like, oh yeah, like people aren't that negative, but you know, they no, <laughs> you it, can it get like that. a lot. And the same aspect is go watch, you know, if you have a professional that maybe as a rider, go watch how that person rides. Watch mm-hmm. how they treat the horse before and after they go in the ring. Um, sure. Watch what sort of sport they are when they come out of a big class. If they're cussing and bitching about the judging and did it, well, that's what your kid's going to end up doing because that's what they see. Right. You know, you, you see, I mean, like, yeah, we all get disappointed. We all wish sometimes the judging was different. There's a lot of that, but it all depends on how you set that example. I come out and if I, I, first of all, I'm never one who blames my horse. I always think there's something I could have done better as a rider to make things better. And I try to set that example for my students. Well, you know what? I was too long out of the outside line where I think some trainers would come out and go, oh, he was so slow off my leg and jumped that like crap. And I'll go, well, you know what? I could have done a better job getting him off my leg in the turn and riding him up to that jump better. Well, if that's how I say it, then my students are going to feel that way. If not, they're going to come out and they're going to blame the horse or they're going to blame this. Or and, and, and our society, unfortunately, it breeds that a little bit these days. So you better make sure that your wife or your daughter or yourself is with somebody who is supporting them in their goals, not just they're, you know, collecting the check and, and not being a real player in their life, because this is a lifestyle. This is a life sport. You've spent a lot of your life doing this. So your coach better be somebody who is the person that you would pick to be also a life coach for yourself or your wife or your child, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, you touched on judging and I would love to kind of quickly hear your perspective as a judge, as you're kind of seeing all of these things unfold. You know, I think, uh, the two biggest misconceptions in this sport and when it comes to judging and, and I got my judge's license at at 21, I'm 42 now. So I've gotten to judge all sorts of great horse shows all over the country and um, I'm lucky enough to get to judge Devin this year which is on my bucket list but I think that the common misconception is that judges are voting against you every judge I've ever been with in my entire life would really love you to come in and nail your round and get a 95 we're cheering for you we want to see good riders we want to see good rounds and we want to see you go fight for it Mm -hmm. the other thing is we like riders who don't give up if you have a mistake, stop thinking behind you and start thinking ahead of you because rarely in junior amateur classes are there not mistakes being made. It's who handles them the best and who starts to raise their score instead of deteriorating. And I also think too many people look at judging and don't watch the whole class. So they'll watch and say, oh my God, can you believe number 127 won that class? They chipped into the outside line. 
well, did you watch the whole class? Because everybody mm-hmm. else may have chipped, swapped, broken at <laughs> the trot. Yes, there's mistakes made sometimes. And yes, there are some people who judge that maybe aren't ready to judge certain things. Sure. But the majority of the time, the people who are bitching about judging didn't actually watch the whole class. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, if you have a problem... Or if you have a question, the trainer can absolutely go to a steward and ask them for help. And also, don't be afraid as a trainer or as a professional to go and fill out a judge's evaluation form. That's what they're there for. The governing body is going to know if we need to train somebody better, if maybe they shouldn't be judging a horse shows. They can't be everywhere. They can't watch these things. But if you're not taking the time to fill out the form that says there needs to be changes, then don't be bitching about it. Excuse my language. Go do something, (laughs) make a difference, Mm -hmm. and change it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I think that there's often the, like what you were bringing up about how the judges are often seen as like trying to see how many, you know, like how much they can dock a rider through a trip. And, um, these judges are horsemen as well. And they're, you know, wanting to see a good round and wanting to see someone excel. I think that that's a really good point. Um, as well. I think you have such a great perspective of so many different areas of what you do. So I just want to let you know that I appreciate what you're doing and the impact and the legacy that you are kind of instilling in your daughter and your clients and other professionals that are watching you. I know everyone starts in this business because they love horses. Just Mm -hmm. don't lose sight of it along the way. Right. Yeah. Don't lose sight of why we're really in this industry. You know, everybody's focused on the prize at the end, but the only way you're going to get there and stay there is to really be the best horseman you can be. And also teach that because the next generation is coming along and this is the future of our sport. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Hope, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I've learned a lot. I hope everyone listening has learned a lot and I wish you all the best. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much and I will talk to you next week.